Hello and welcome to Standing in the Stream, a podcast for and about creative people. I'm your host, John Lane. Today's guest, Paul Schutte, is a composer, sound artist, and performer. I would also add sculptor and instrument builder to that list. Uh, using computers, handmade electronics, homemade synthesizers, and video, Paul's work extends beyond what many would consider concert music and brushes up against the sensibilities of visual art. In fact, one of his projects, the Warp Whistle Project, which I hope we can get into a little bit later, is a collaboration with the painter Mary Lauba. As a performer, Paul is heavily involved in improvisation. One example would be his trio, Vaster Than Empires, with violinist Erica Dicker and percussionist Alan Audi. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, very glad to be here. Great. Um, I definitely want to get into some of your current work and, and projects, but first I, I was hoping that we might talk a little bit about how you got started. Yeah, sure. Um, where to begin? How far back to go? Yeah, I think we go all the yeah. way. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Tell us about, you were telling me earlier about growing up in a small town. Sure, yeah. I mean, I grew up, uh, like a lot of kids, just taking piano lessons, and my parents were both uh, somewhat musical and really got on a strong musical path, though, after, uh, I guess I was in the middle of junior high when we moved from Wisconsin to Quincy, Illinois, uh, and in Quincy found a public school music tradition that was just uh, really strong, and mm -hmm got started doing doing things year-round, music and uh, theater, really. So I was, you know, I was in the jazz band. I was a pretty serious trombone player during high school. Mm -hmm. uh, but I did it all. I did the musicals. I did the marching bands and all the big-time small-town stuff and loved every minute of it. Mm -hmm. um, but then, yeah, my really, my, my dream after high school was to get, get up to the big city. So... Yeah, I made my way to DePaul University uh, in Chicago and came in uh, with the intention of being a composition major, which was uh, kind of unusual. A lot of people, you know, maybe start off in performance or something like that and then wander their way into the composition department. But uh, kind of that, that was my original intention, and I, I stuck with it. And and from the beginning, and, and from the beginning uh, of your you know wanting to do composition, were you interested in in experimental music even at that early age, or were you thinking more about writing you know concert classical music, or what what sort of music were you uh, you know thinking that you would do at DePaul? Yeah, well, I knew I I started writing some music back in high school, and during those days I was pretty serious about studying improvisation, jazz improvisation. Uh, and so my, my very earliest pieces were actually little jazz charts, and I think I attempted one big band thing that's never even been uh, performed, wouldn't want it to be necessarily. But uh, <laughs> yeah, by the, by the time I got to DePaul, uh, yeah, I really, I really was kind of from early on on a fairly uh, experimental track, and I kind of all through my student days, really, I <clears throat> took a philosophy or an approach that this is, you know, these are 
student days. It's a chance where you're professionally not really overexposed and a, a chance to really take take risks and right. you know ask ask questions about who you are and what you want to do. And uh, I stuck with that through most of my schooling and pretty proud of that. And I think it's kind of uh, benefiting me now. Uh, really, yeah. kind of feel like I'm in a good good place in terms of having a voice and a style and uh, knowing what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, and so you're based in Cincinnati now and you got there through wanting to go to the Cincinnati conservatory. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about your experience in Cincinnati. You and I share that as a background. Uh, I loved my time in Cincinnati and, uh, there's right, such yeah. such interesting people there, and both in the faculty, but also in in the students that end up uh, finding their way there. So maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience uh, in Cincinnati. Yeah, Cincinnati has been great, and it, as you said, it was the was the school that uh, initially brought me there. Uh, you know, with my portfolio coming out of undergrad and having a you know fair amount of uh, experimental work, you're kind of becomes kind of clear, you know, what schools are going to be interested in, which are not. And uh, Cincinnati, uh, the composition department especially, I think a, a real point of pride for them is that they uh, don't really shy away from anything stylistically, meaning, you know, some of the stuff that I do, but also things that are more, much more conservative. And it's right. um, really a healthy student body and that they're, you know, encouraging people to, to do their own thing, whatever it is. So they're not really uh, trying to steer things stylistically, just maybe in terms of, of quality, if anything, which is really uh, an ideal setup in my mind. So, yeah, I had a, a great time doing my master's there and uh, wound up sticking around to do a doctorate because of a lot of the uh, opportunities that were presenting themselves. Yeah. Wonderful, and so and now you've uh, made Cincinnati sort of home base, and you're getting some work there. And uh, I noticed that you had a an exhibition at the Semantics Gallery in Cincinnati. Um, so you've you've kind of transitioned to making it your home. Is that correct? Uh, more or less, yeah. I mean, uh, after after school now, you know, little teaching jobs are starting to present themselves, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's. Do I say an up-and-coming area? I don't know. There's uh, <clears throat> always been a fair amount going on in Cincinnati. Definitely not a, you know, an internationally connected city by any means. But yeah, um, yeah lots lots of fun stuff going on. And uh, yeah, for example, you mentioned that that show at Semantics. I mean, that was uh, uh, as you know somebody from really a musical background, but. Um, yeah, interested in these areas of sound art and sculpture and instrument and building, and I, you know, don't hesitate to really use any of those words. Um, yeah, there is there was opportunity in Cincinnati to to get shows at galleries that may not have been there, and had I been, you know, living in some some larger cities where things might be slightly more competitive. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that semantic show that was that was a lot of fun. That was the first first solo visual art show that I ever had and yeah it was a, was a chance to kind of 
stretch my legs into the into that arena. Yeah, for the that, first time. that is really fascinating and interesting to me. Sort of where where the intersection of these different disciplines um, happen. Uh, you mm-hmm. transitioning over into you know sort of I wouldn't say transitioning into but brushing up against this visual art world and and you know tr- testing the waters so to speak of you know bringing mm-hmm. your sensibilities as a composer and a musician into that world and and sharing in the experience and and then further you you've actually collaborated with uh, some visual artists and and have gotten quite serious in the, in that world so maybe you can maybe this would be a good transition point to talk about one of those um perhaps the uh warp whistle project maybe we can talk about that tell sure. me tell me yeah. a little bit about that project yeah i mean this is uh something that i've i've been super excited about for the last oh has it been two years already probably yeah i met uh painter uh mary lauba at uh vcca the virginia center for the creative arts which was uh, the first kind of artist in residency program that I went to uh, in the winter of 2013. Uh, she was there, and I was there, and I was I was actually there as a visual artist. I was kind of doing a, a big installation piece in my studio, uh, and we kind of hit it off early on. But then it wasn't so obvious to me at first that our work was really uh, connected in any way. Uh, but then, it, then the connections kind of started started to show themselves, and uh, eventually, yeah, it led to this uh, collaboration that's been ongoing. So, I mean, her, I guess, the initial way in for us was that uh, Mary would talk a lot about how, in her painting, she's really interested in uh, bringing a bringing a temporal dimension to her work, which you know, painting is. Right, we can give the illusion of 3D, but how do you give go one step further? I guess and right. give, the, give the the illusion of the fourth dimension, kind of time. So she'll do, you know, fascinating things with kind of colored gradients that look like they have uh, certain rhythm, rhythmic aspects to them. You know, you can kind of follow the rhythm of these gradations with your eyes uh, and push things forward and back in terms of dimensions. It's kind of something else that we had in yeah. common thinking in terms of different spatial and temporal dimensions. So, you know, you, you've talked about it, but yeah, this, this intersection of everything, I mean, being somebody who does just sit down and uh, compose music that I want to have performed in, in concert halls, but also, you know, being involved in this visual art world, the, uh, the intersection is really interesting. And, and, and being somebody who does both, I've found that, um, well, in my own work, one can influence the other in, in really interesting ways. So uh, for me, the, the sound art has always been, well, it's been about a lot of things, but, but one thing is kind of making, uh, making sound more about space, I guess. So kind of taking it out of the temporal dimension a little bit and bringing it more into you know, kind of a three-dimensional context. So we, we had this in common. We each wanted something for our mediums that wasn't necessarily, I don't want to say allowed, but uh, traditional, perhaps. So that, that, that became the initial kind of aesthetic orientation for, yeah, what is now the, 
the warp whistle project. So uh, I'm interested to know <clears throat> then, uh, with all of that said, how you yeah. worked. How you worked together? Did the art come first? Did the music come first? Did the conception, conceptual ideas come first, and then? Uh, you know, were you guys working mm-hmm. side by side or sort of how, how did that collaborative effort take shape? Yeah, what did we do first? I, we did some some really small kind of test pieces. So, I mean, the way the collaboration works or has worked so far is that, um, you know, she does the painting, obviously. And what I do is we find different ways to embed sound making circuits uh, into her painting. So, and uh, some paintings that's meant, you know, embedding speakers of various kinds, and then all my kind of circuitry lives behind uh, the pieces. I mean, that's just on a very nuts and bolts level what happens. But, yeah, you, I mean, typically out of what we'll do is that Mary will sketch uh, some things just in Photoshop or by hand, and I'll kind of comment on what I'm seeing and already thinking about what I might do in terms of the sound. And then, then usually, I mean, since, you know, these paintings are, they're physical things. It's kind of, they have to come into existence before I can kind of, uh, add my, add my layer of, of circuitry to them, which, uh, which creates the, which creates the sound. So, I mean, the, our, our working method, I guess, is really more guided by the, the practicalities of the, situation than anything else but we're you know i'm commenting on the what she's doing and she's free and often does kind of comment on on the sound and what she might like to hear differently or things like that so it's uh, it's a pretty active kind of collaboration it's, there's a lot of a lot of back and forth that goes on wonderful um, I, I'm sort of curious about how you got started working with these, you know, y- you create these amazing, beautiful uh, handmade electronics, uh, circuit drawings, and these mobile structures that you've created. And, and obviously that skill, you know, influenced the work that you do with the Warp Whistle Project. You're talking about embedding right. speakers and yeah. paintings and that kind of thing. That's not something that necessarily uh, one would learn in a composition program, uh, that sort of detailed no, electronics right. working <laughs> with tools and all of this kind of stuff. So first question would be, you know, like, how did you get involved with making your own electronics? And, and then, mm-hmm. you, well, well, let's start there. How did, so how did you get, I mean, how did you get started building these things? Yeah, well, uh, my final year at DePaul, I got a hold of a copy of uh, Nick Collins' book, uh, handmade electronic music. Okay. And that was really the starting place. And one, as soon as I got that book and I was applying for graduate schools and then I, I applied to the school, of the art Institute in Chicago, which is actually where Nick teaches. And I got in and did a, did a year there before I showed up in Cincinnati. Uh, and that year was really, I mean, eye opening for me. That's a great school. There's just all kinds of things going on. And I was really there with the intent of just exposing myself to everything and anything that I could. So, you know, I took a class on virtual reality and made a piece for this virtual reality cave environment. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, I got to spend some time with, uh, with Nick, which was which was great, and just kind of picked his brain about about everything, and then 
Yeah, I mean, really, you know, just kind of lived in my apartment with uh, with my soldering iron for the better part of a year. <laughs> uh, didn't really write, <laughs> didn't really write any music to speak of during that year. It was really uh, just kind of a year that I invested in technical explorations, yeah, honing and, your uh, skills. Right? Really. What's that? No, just I was saying honing your skills or the, those skills that we don't, yeah. that one would not pick up in a in a school of music somewhere. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah and I, I really was motivated to do it, and uh, have been, yeah, benefiting from that from that year ever since. Really, it's given me, you know, just a lot of, like you say, skills, but also just uh, ideas that have kind of germinated and played themselves out. Yeah. So, you know, with with all of this collaboration in in that art world, and and going to Chicago and going to the Art Institute, I mean. How much of your career trajectory is is moving towards maybe going into that world, and how does one, how would one make the transition into that world? Because it's a whole different, a whole different world, uh, the art world versus the music world, and and specifically our very tiny, you know, little uh, experimental music world. Has have these collaborations, you know, conjured up an interest in maybe making the transition to being strictly uh, working with you know making sculptures and electronic instruments and to be on display mm-hmm. in, in a in an art museum or are you sort of where what are you working what are you working on what are you working towards yeah well I mean I'm creatively and for myself I mean I'm really interested in maintaining um, maintaining both practices so I'm still still writing concert music and still actively uh, seeking speaking art shows of all kinds. So just from my own kind of personal creative place, I've um, yeah, pretty dedicated to keeping keeping both things going. And it's starting to play itself out, you know, more professionally too. Uh, for example, this coming semester, I'm uh, going to be teaching courses at a couple art schools, actually, oh, uh, in addition to a music school. So yeah, when I was uh, at, at CCM, I also spent a lot of time at DAP, which is, um, what is it, the School of Design, Art, Architecture, and Planning. It's, yeah. uh, it's the fine art school at UC. Yeah. Uh, spent a lot of time there with, uh, with Charlie Woodman, who's a, a video artist that teaches at, uh, there at DAP. And so wound up taking a lot of his classes, and it was just kind of an opportunity to not only work with him, but just to... Yeah, continue that practice while I was still in school there. Yeah, that's that's a great opportunity to sort of feed and be fed, as it were. You know, right. look, looking and dabbling in these other arts and and spending time as you have with so many creative and interesting people. Well, let's let's transition and talk about the other side of your work, which is the the concert music. Uh, you've got two sure. new uh, two new percussion compositions, which is near and dear to my heart as a percussionist. So, um, right. would you like to talk about those pieces or anything new? What you're currently working on? I'm open to anything. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The I mean the the first of these two percussion pieces is called uh, Space Time Julian, uh, and it was written for a percussion group. Cincinnati, who the the faculty guys at CCM, who, as you know, have a kind of really strong history and are 
associated with, let's call it a specific brand of percussion music. Is that fair to say? I, I think that's fair to say. I mean, historically, they yeah. are, you know, the first uh, chamber music percussion group in, in this country. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Alan Audi, uh, uh, you know, collaborator of yours and former teacher of mine, uh, you know, would say that they took the sensibilities of a conservatory-trained musician uh, and brought that to chamber music for percussion. They're basically a string quartet of percussionists. Well, I guess they're a trio, right. but they took that sensibility, you know, and brought it to percussion and have established themselves as, you know, collaborating with a number of uh, very well-known composers, and uh, they're definitely not afraid to experiment and, and push the envelope of, you know, contemporary music and musical sensibilities so yeah i think all of that is probably right. fair to say about that group and it, and what a wonderful opportunity for you to get to work with them in this way so yeah tell me about this piece yeah, yeah right well i mean that's uh that's a great summary and it's uh so really what i tried to do with the piece is just to write a piece for these guys that not uh you can do things for them that not not everybody else uh would do as well i guess so yeah. it's uh yeah, most of my concert music these days kind of falls under what I would call an electroacoustic heading. So I'm, you know, definitely still sitting down with pen and paper and notating acoustic music for performers. Uh, but then I kind of not necessarily go back. It's really more of a simultaneous thing uh, in terms of the process. But I'm uh, interested in working with live electronic effects, really, um, which is not not much of a of a new idea but i'm definitely trying to find kind of new ways to to implement things just to create new new textures kind of smear things in different different directions and yeah create a kind of more exotic sonic landscape i guess so the how to talk about FaceTime Julian, yes. Uh, <laughs> I guess a lot of, a lot is implied in the name. You know, I was yeah. talking earlier with the sound art about kind of this, uh, oh, longing for, you know, to accentuate the what can be the spatial aspects of music. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, the last couple of years I've really kind of done a lot of reading, research into some areas of uh, theoretical physics. So I, you know, I know what I'm talking about when I, <laughs> when I use this term <laughs> space time and just about how, uh, you know, yeah, space and time are these kind of really intimately related things. So you're, you know, motion in motion in one uh, dimension kind of affects how quickly you're moving in another dimension. So, uh, if, you know, the piece, I guess, is just a, kind of a, a cut-up portrait of, of space-time. And uh, uh, it's a, yeah, fairly uh, <clears throat> kind of bizarre percussion instrumentation, I guess. Everybody gets a little, uh, what I call a trash kit. You know, they've got like a like a jar and a soup can and a, and a cigar box and some other stuff like that. And... Uh, and one one performer actually has one of my homemade banks of oscillators. There's a yeah radio in there, kind of <laughs> some really a, of an eclectic there. set of instruments to be sure. By way of example, let's listen to a bit of Space Time Julian here, performed by the percussion group Cincinnati. 
Okay, so we've just gotten back from listening to a little bit of the Space Time Julienne by Paul Schutte. And I, I want to make sure and say also, Paul, that uh, if people are interested in your music and, and reading more about your work, uh, you do have a website, paulschutte.com. And uh, I'll try to put right. that. I'll put that in a link in my uh, blog post or in the show notes so that you can go and, and find that. Uh, but uh, your website is beautiful, and there's lots and lots of information. And you can there's lots of things to explore, uh, both you know sound p- files and pictures and videos. So there's a lot of depth there. If people are interested, they can go and and check that out. Okay, and uh, you mentioned that you had another piece, uh, sliced attractor for uh, drum set solo. Right. So yeah. how did that piece come about? Yeah, this was uh, written for a friend of mine in Cincinnati, Zach Larrabee, uh, who's, uh, yeah, performing quite a bit these days on the drum kit, but a, a, a percussionist at large. And yeah, kind of as the title may or may not imply, um, definitely part of a, a series of percussion pieces that I think I started with the Space Time Julian that, yeah, draws on some of these things that I'm Oh, learning from from the world of of physics, just forces in in motion, and uh, using that as as inspiration. So, you know, an attractor, if you don't know, is kind of something that uh, that has to do with chaos theory, really. So, if you look at uh, what's a good example, I guess a pendulum is is a pretty obvious one. We always we always think of pendulums kind of swinging back and forth in a very clear arc. Right? Uh-huh. But there's actually, if if you were to turn a pendulum and look at it kind of from the side, so going away from you and coming back towards you, we would see these little kind of deviations on each on each path. And it was always thought that that was kind of pure and total randomness. But, um, yeah, what physicists have discovered through the study of, of chaos theory is that chaos actually has not necessarily a pattern to it, but a degree of predictability so that's kind of how i described that piece in the program note is that it's uh chaotic music in that spirit of pre- predictable unpredictableness mm. beautiful <laughs> that's not yeah right that's an intriguing description here's a little bit uh of the piece itself let's take a listen to sliced attractor by paul Schutte. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, there's one element of your work that we haven't really touched on, and that's your own performances. And uh, perhaps we could, yeah. I know you have a couple of different uh, outlets, but maybe we could talk about one of those, perhaps the Vaster Than Empires, your trio with violin, violinist Erica Dicker and, and Alan Adi, a percussionist who we, mm-hmm. we already talked about earlier. Uh, or, or if there's some other more current... Uh, ensemble that you've been working with or playing with, but uh, definitely want to talk about your improvisation. So maybe talk a little bit about your, your performing. Yeah. Um, well, that, that specific group that you mentioned, Vaster Than Empires, got started with uh, when I started working with Erica Dicker, who's a, a really fabulous violin player. Uh, I don't even know where to, where to begin with her. <laughs> she's kind of, she's the violin player that all 
every composer wants to be friends with. Uh, she's just got this incredible, incredibly rich sonic palette and imagination to go with it. And uh, so when I first started performing with her, what I was really doing was just kind of uh, taking some of the oh banks of effects that I've been using in the in the written compositions and just kind of manipulating them uh, in a in a live kind of on the fly way, just seeing if I could you know present different um, different scenarios to her and see kind of how she would react and then she would kind of suggest musically moving the things in a different direction and I would kind of you know react and find an effect that might might suit the new the new mood uh, and that that was a lot of fun we would just play as as a as a duo around uh, uh, Cincinnati and then just the uh, two of you just you and, and Erica right just me and Erica and then uh, yeah it was Al who was describing to me this uh, Yang Chin, which is a uh, kind of oversized Chinese dulcimer yeah. um, that is traditionally played with the very, you know, delicate little uh, wooden hammer things. And he, I guess he had had it for about 10 years uh, and never used it. He, he got it from somebody, and his uh, initial idea was to do a very uh, kind of prepared piano like thing for it uh you know sticking coins and nuts and bolts and pieces of felt and plastic in the strings to kind of see you know what uh what kind of uh variety of sounds he could get this thing because as he will tell you he has absolutely no idea how to play the instrument <laughs> which, uh, <laughs> which is a great way to start right <laughs> right yeah right <laughs> But he had heard uh, Erica and I performing, I think, and uh, intuitively I think he knew that since the sounds this thing uh, made were so delicate and soft that they might benefit from some amplification, but also from some of the some of the effects that I was uh, doing with Erica. Right. So and, you're, so let me just, uh, two things I want to make clear. One is this, this instrument that you're talking yeah. about, uh, if those that those that might be listening that don't know what a dulcimer is, it's essentially right. a, a, a sort of a soundboard with um, with sort of, not frets, I don't know what the right term would be, but um, it's basically mm-hmm. a, a sounding board with strings stretched across, um, and that and the, the strings are then played by uh, little hammers, little felt-tipped or wooden, I don't know, felt-tipped or wooden hammers. So it's basically played mm-hmm. like a percussion instrument, but it's essentially a, a stringed right. a stringed instrument sound. And the dulcimer, right. I think we would think of more in like the bluegrass tradition or something, or or even like Hungarian music, uh, that that sort of traditional music. But in this case, this was a Chinese version of that. And I'm sorry, the name of the instrument again is the Yang Yang Chin. Yang Chin. Yang Chin. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. so that that's one thing I wanted to clear up. And then the second thing is. What what exactly? So your your role in the ensemble um, is more sort of manipulating the um, laptop uh, in terms of like changing the different effects patches for Erica and Alan. Is that is that right? Or do you also contribute by playing on some electronic instruments yourself, or how you know sort of what is your role more of a facilitator in in the improvisation, or how do you mm-hmm. see your role in that group? 
Yeah, that's what I was describing and definitely how I how I began to kind of, uh, yeah, relate to this group. And uh, it's, it's evolved from there to, uh, I guess the next step was kind of, oh, recording little bits and pieces of what was going on in real time and, and spitting those back out. So kind of uh, sampling different sections of the music and turning those into sound files that, that I, I could then interject later. Uh, and then most recently I have started to kind of bring in some of my uh, handmade synthesis gear as kind of a, uh, another another layer of sound to bring to that group. So, yeah, I, I, I do play something of a, of a multi-dimensional role where I'm contextualizing a lot of, uh, of what Al and Eric are doing, but then, um, yeah, contributing my own my own sounds as well. Uh-huh. And yeah. so and so the compositions that you play or the improvisations that you play, mm-hmm. are you working with uh, like um, improvisational structures that you've created or visual sort of graphic scores that everyone is sort of looking at or or is it simply a free improvisation? How is the music actually made? Mhm. Yeah, we um when we brought Alan I did uh a graphic score actually for the three of us to play to kind of oh get the conversation started and then that group we actually had a, a really great opportunity back in Chicago to uh, be in residence at ESS which is a uh, the experimental sound studio which is just kind of this this haven for creative musicians and in, in the Chicago area uh, and we were basically gifted just a lot of a lot of time in the recording studio there. And during that time, we we worked on that on that score that I had written, but we just spent a lot of a lot of time uh, experimenting, just uh, trying different things, structuring things in different ways, and figuring out what would work and what wouldn't work. And then after those sessions, then from from the sound, you know, from the recordings, we would go back and kind of say well let's do this thing and then follow it with with this kind of a thing and and so it's it's been a very um a process that i think we've always tried to guide through the music so there was yeah there was one piece that kind of just got us got the ball rolling but since then i I think it's been more exciting for all of us to kind of um yeah just continue this this conversation Wonderful. It, it sounds like really rewarding uh, and engaging work. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, and I definitely um, I enjoy performing. I mean, it's uh, good good for all all other aspects of my work, really, to to maintain a practice as a as a performer, and and beyond that, I just uh, I really enjoy it as well. Yeah. Well, this might be an, a good transition to maybe the last segment of our conversation here, which is um, I want to, with each guest, talk a little bit about the creative life and and how one makes a creative life. And perhaps, you know, we we reflected on your your journey and how you got to where you are. Maybe you would also like to reflect on... um, you know, maybe words of encouragement for other people along that, that, you know, trying a similar life, trying for a similar life. You mentioned finding teaching gigs and 
um, Mm -hmm. you know, finding work where you can. And, and especially for you delving into both, you know, this art world and also the music world. But what, what advice do you have? What's the path to sort of making it as a creative artist these days? And do you have Mm -hmm. any advice for, for those of us that are pursuing similar paths? I mean, where, what to say beyond the, what's, what's going to sound so cliche, I don't know, is that, you know. <laughs> Cliche is okay. <laughs> cliche is okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's easy if you're passionate about it, I guess, is what I want to say. It's, passionate uh, about the work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, is, is, uh, what some people might consider a, a struggle, you know, I mean, I, I kind of look forward to, and yeah. uh, if you don't feel that way about it, I, I don't think it's gonna it's gonna work out. It's just you know when you when you know uh, that that you have something to say, um, then you need to you need to say it. On some level, what what we do as creative people could be considered really really kind of a, a selfish thing to do. And I, I think that in some ways it is, you know, to kind of have this this ego that says I have something that's so important to say that I, I want everybody to listen to it. But I, I think for me that's really fuel to uh, make the work good, you know. It's it's uh, just to do it well and not and not uh, not just doing it because it's fun or or trendy or anything else like that. It's, it's, uh, it's gotta mean that much or, or why, why do it at all? (laughs) Why not do something that, you know, would in a more tangible way contribute back? Well, well, I think what's, what's really interesting, you know, when we, when we talk to, when I talk to other musicians and, you know, I'm a musician and a, a percussionist and, and that's, was my training. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I do on a day-to-day basis is I, I teach percussion. And, mm-hmm. um, but, but really where my, really where my heart is and where my interest is, is in creativity uh, in making things. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, was trying to find a name for this podcast. And, um, one of the names that I came up with was we make stuff. Uh, because mm. because the I feel a, a great connection mm. with other artists and uh, of a variety of fields that that they're putting their you know heart and soul into making something and then putting it out there in the world and that takes a lot of courage you know you mentioned it sure. you know that that takes a lot of courage to to do that to create something and put your name on it and and release it out <laughs> into the world. Uh, just finished reading. Um, uh, book about anthony braxton forces in motion uh which i would recommend to anyone and uh he's i wish i had the quote handy but he's got some really great quotes in there about creativity about the creative act and how it's it's uh it's it's in the doing of things that we we create things and that really the end the end goal of creativity is uh i think as he says to think to think the biggest thought that we can. Mm. And I really like that idea that just the, what is the point of it all? And I guess for me, in some ways it's about, um, yeah, expanding upon 
what we can experience and and providing new perspectives to experience thinking the biggest thoughts that we can i also i also was at a talk recently by Joel uh, Ryan, a guy who works at Stein in Amsterdam. He was talking about music in a way that I'd never heard before, but that, that really made a lot of sense to me. And then he was describing music as this this body of knowledge that we have, as, that we possess as human beings, that is has always been slightly dangerous and subversive, and society has never really known how to deal with it mm. uh, because, he argued, uh, that it's a whole body of knowledge that's linked to motion and not any kind of language. And I think, you know, we see this in performers, right? Performers with a violin in hand, for example, can do incredibly, you know, express incredibly nuanced things all through the physical motion and movement of their bodies, but it's nothing that they could say or express yeah. in words. Right, right. And so that's, yeah, I mean, all thoughts on uh, <clears throat> creativity here and its ability to, you know, ex- express things that are, all things that are possible. Yeah. Well, there's also something in music that's about the, you know, that's ephemeral, especially live performances. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, I definitely... I do take that approach to my own music making. and I often kind of, you know, telling myself silently that I want to, uh, what I, what I call, you know, necessitate the live experience because, you know, I, these days, what, what is music? It's, it's becoming more ephemeral as it moves away from any kind of physical format, you know, meaning CDs or, records or anything like that and as it moves on to our phones through the airwaves and things like that but it's uh right it's not necessarily linked to direct physical live experiences anymore and in some ways that's what the electroacoustic thing is about for me uh-huh. and, uh, you know it's uh you don't we don't often realize i don't think how so much of the music that we listen to is so so heavily produced uh influenced and affected by the by the recording process that it becomes very disembodied yeah uh but it's and i think you know through seeing a violin player and maybe having some conception of what the violin sounds like but then hearing that the sound coming out over the speakers is very foreign to that uh origin then all of a sudden you start to put this together that you know, something is something is happening in the middle here that's causing that. Okay. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with me today, and uh, I'm very excited to begin this podcast. And and uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to all the connections that are going to be made and all of the wonderful conversations that we'll have. Oh, thank you. Happy to be on the uh, inaugural show. And with that, we conclude episode one of Standing in the Stream. Again, I'm your host, John Lane. You can follow me on Twitter, at ThatJohnLane. And you can also find the show on Facebook. Simply search for Standing in the Stream. I'll be back next time for more Conversations with Creatives. Thanks for listening.